Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and we are now boosted by Humans First. I'm grateful to have Humans First founder Mike McKenty with me, and an awesome human putting a lot of human back, back into humanity in Ros Savage, who is a Guinness World Book record holding um, amazing ocean rower. And I'd love you to explore that and share that with us a little bit with the, with the audience. Author of a new book called The Gifts of Solitude, and also founder of The Sisters. So welcome to the podcast, Roz. Oh, my pleasure to be speaking with you again, Gary. Oh, it's lovely to see you, thank you. Would you mind for our audience, just maybe giving us a little bit of a, an update and a lowdown as to you know, who is Roz? How did you come into being um, with regards to writing the books of Gifts of Solitude? Because I think it really does <laughs> sound like a book for our time. When you asked me how I came into being, I thought you had to take that up with my mother. <laughs> that was not um, solitude, was it? <laughs> Let's not go there. Nobody needs to think about their parents creating them. <laughs> Although we are all human. <laughs> it, it, is, uh, it is where all humans and all other creatures start. Okay. Um, Okay, let's be professional here. On with the show. Um, so, uh, how did I come to be here talking about gifts of solitude? Uh, well, Gary, as you mentioned, I, I have rowed an ocean or three, having started out very conventionally, management consultant for 11 years, very ordinary kind of life, um, belatedly realised that the lifestyle that was supposed to make me happy was not in fact making me happy. So I quit my job and set about finding out what I really wanted to do when I grew up. Had an environmental awakening, desperately wanted to do something to raise awareness of our environmental issue. Um, obviously for the sake of all species on, on the planet, but I am particularly fond of humans. Um, and this crazy idea just came to me one day like a call to adventure. Um, I had rowed before, and I think that that was enough to give me the delusion that this strange and rather masochistic sport of rowing alone across oceans was something that I was vaguely qualified to do. And it seemed that this could be potentially sufficiently attention-getting, that I could use my blog posts and my, my talks and my books and videos and so on uh, to get across my environmental message. So that's what I spent seven years doing, not continuously, although it sometimes felt like it, several months at a time, um, rowing across the Atlantic, Pacific and Indian Oceans between 2005 and 2011. Wow. And so, yeah, here I am still trying to make the world a better place in some way. And... Um, given what's been happening recently with this little virus that you might have heard about. Um, I was trying to think, how could I be helpful in this context, not being medically trained or, or really having anything to contribute in a direct way? And then it just occurred to me that a lot of people are not used to spending lots of time on their own and are now being forced to. And probably there are lots of people who were wishing that they had more time on their own if they've got all the kids home from school. Uh, but uh, this book that I felt inspired to write, The Gifts of Solitude, was really directed towards the people who are spending time alone. And from my own personal experience, when I did my first ocean, the Atlantic, I found it incredibly hard. 
those little voices in my head gave me a really, really tough time. I had a lot of growing and maturing to do. It really was sort of a baptism of fire in a very watery way. Um, so the book is about surviving and thriving in solitude. So the surviving part is really my reflections from the Atlantic on the coping strategies that I discovered haphazardly as I went along out of sheer necessity on that ocean so as not to drive myself completely insane before I reached the other side. But then actually on the subsequent oceans, the Pacific and the Indian, that was more about the thriving in solitude where I really learned to appreciate the opportunities, uh, the gifts, the chance to really get to know myself better and develop some self-compassion and really connect with my sense of purpose. And um, I even towards the end of the book get a little bit spiritual about it, um, inspired by some wonderful conversations. I also interviewed some people for the book, including uh, the wonderful um, Tenzin Palmo, who is a, a British Buddhist nun who had some wonderful words of wisdom. So that was probably a slightly longer answer than I intended, but I hope it answers the question. Oh, it's just wonderful depth for me. And, and I, um, wh what, what a journey of continued inspiration and the, f how you frame it into your, your personal discovery is really brilliant. I mean, that, that depth of insight and discovery internally is very remarkable and intriguing. Well, I feel like everything I've learned in my life, I've learned by doing it the wrong way first. Or, well, maybe I shouldn't say wrong way, but, you know, by uh, a, doing it the suboptimal way first. And then, like I say, kind of stumbling out of necessity uh, across some better ways of framing things. And especially what I think is relevant at the moment is that um, there is something very humbling about rowing across an ocean it really brought home to me how little control I had over what was going on you know I could try to control the the wind and the waves and the currents um, and I 100% of the time never succeeded so there was a lot of surrender to what is um, there was a need to refocus on the things that I could control like just showing up and sticking my oars in the water for 12 hours a day. That was my job. And also finding ways to reframe the situation. I couldn't change the reality as none of us can change this coronavirus situation that we're in right now. Um, when we can't change that, we just have to change our attitude to it. And actually that makes all the difference. And I was so inspired in this by Viktor Frankl and his beautiful little book, Man's Search for Meaning. And really, when you read about somebody enduring the horrors of the Auschwitz concentration camp in World War II, you never have any right to complain about anything ever again, because that is just as, as bad as it gets. But the way that he found to maintain dignity, to help his fellow prisoners to maintain his psychological hygiene as he called it this um clarity and beauty of his thoughts even despite all the ugliness and the brutality brutality that surrounded him it's just such a, a timeless and inspiring story so um that's been a, a really big influence on me and um yeah, I think just, you know, his main mantra was when you can't change what's happening around you, then then we the last power left to us is to choose our attitude. It's so stunning, Roz. What, what comes up for me straight away is this, that word surrender, I think, is such a powerful word, that, that ability to let go. And I think there's a lot of people listening to us right now, myself included as we speak, is what are the things that we want to let go of as we emerge? from this gift of solitude that we're experiencing right now. Mm. And that comes with some accountability. And also what I love is the, like your, like your innate desire to experiment on that journey. You know, you're crossing an ocean, you don't know what's coming, but you're still sort of curious about 
almost like playful, it feels like to some extent, certainly on the second two trips. Yeah, I, I really like that you use the word playful and, and curious as well, because I think that curiosity is a beautiful mindset to get into because it would be very easy to get frustrated. Um, I expect a lot of people listening to this um, have struggled or have suffered financially as a result of all of this. I know I have because most of my income comes from speaking at conferences and clearly all of that went away um, almost overnight. And at first, oh, you know, I found that really hard. It, it really, like that fundamental Maslow's hierarchy, root chakra kind of instability of having your basic needs suddenly not met, like how am I going to pay the rent? And, you know, kind of staring into the abyss. And um, for it took me a few days to get out of that initial funk and go, okay, well, it's time to get curious, to get resourceful, to look for the gift in this. Yeah, I can get frustrated, I could get depressed, I could get angry, but that's really not gonna be very constructive here. So what can I, what can I control? in this um you know i i can't make those conferences happen i've got to find something else that i can do um so let's get curious about this life has tended to take good care of me in the past so if i choose to believe that there's a gift here that heck maybe i needed to pivot away from conference speaking anyway it's very bad for my carbon footprint it's always a bumpy income stream so what else do I love to do that could actually be useful here? So that was another strand of thought that helped to inspire the book. Um, and I think that as we start to emerge, <laughs> I, I feel like as we leave lockdown, we're going to be like these little moles kind of popping up out of our holes and emerging, blinking into the, into the sunlight. Um, it has felt over the last weeks and even months a bit like um, like reality has been suspended. I don't know about you, but time has done really weird stretchy things right. and then sometimes compressing things. It's all been quite strange. Um, and as we emerge from that, wondering what the future is going to look like um, economically, logistically, politically, socially, like what's it going to feel like when we're allowed to hug people again? Are we still going to be kind of standoffish and a bit nervous around them? I'm so curious about what's going to happen next. And of course, trying to nudge it a little bit towards, <laughs> towards the positive things that, that might come out of this. So I think that um, part of the beauty of curiosity is that it helps us to be less attached to any particular outcome. Mm. Um, I feel like with my financial wobbliness, um, it's like the ego mind freaks out when things are really uncertain because it likes certainty, it likes to know what's going on, it likes coherence it doesn't like change it throws a complete you know, like two-year-old temper tantrum when things are not going its way but when we can switch into that attitude of openness and curiosity and and wonder i wonder what's going to happen next then it's not like we're setting up expectations that will then lead to disappointment if we don't get what we thought we wanted but if we're just going what an interesting experience. Uh, and to come back to your word playful, yeah. How do we play with this? We're yeah. all in uncharted waters here. Nobody has got a roadmap for what happens next. Clearly our leaders don't, um, <laughs> or most leaders don't. I shouldn't tar them all with the same brush. Some have been doing a really amazing job. Um, so, how, how do we sort of stay connected with our values? And this is actually why I think it's important 
well, we still have maybe a few more days or a few weeks of um, before we really launch back into the busyness and the hurly-burly of normality to think about what do we want to carry forward? Which pieces of luggage can we put down and leave behind? What are the values that we want to really embody going forward, both individually and collectively? And um, these are sort of things that I've been thinking about while we've been on, on lockdown. And, and I hope some other people have taken the time to think about these things as well, um, rather than just catching up with every boxed set that ever was. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's fine too, you know, no judgment, you know, whatever, whatever gets you through the lockdown. How have you been spending lockdown, Gary? How's that been for you? A bit like you really, Roz. So no, thank you for the question. I, 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 I empathise deeply, really deeply with what's going on and the loss of life and the challenges, but I cannot mm. help but see the hope and the opportunity for reset and connectivity yeah. And full global systemic healing, you know, you know, valuing our key workers, you know, yes. distributing wealth to where it's needed and not just being stuck in the upper echelons. You know, there's so much education going online in a week. So we don't all, you know, just, just so many belief systems were shattered overnight, Ros. And the ability About to- what is and what isn't possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so for me, that's where I'm curious is that what will we leave and what will we take with us? What do you think, Mike? Well, I, 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 I love that. And, and, you know, I was, I was listening so intently, Roz, as you were walking through that, right? Because you've, you've, your awareness of making those selections is, is, I, you know, is so deep and it's, it's beyond what is normal because you've, you've explored that, you know, in, in your, in your work and in your, in your journeys, like literal journeys. And, so for me, it was, it was, you know, I was really sinking into that awareness and your ability to find that curiosity and have the strength of choice rather than just becoming subservient to the ego and, and going in and saying, how can I fix this? You know, how can I grasp for the illusion of control again? Um, control being that illusion, right? It's, um, and I was thinking of you being in the, in the boat and you know not with sails but with oars <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. you did Medium say row crossing an ocean yes. right <laughs> <laughs> i know i could have just <clears throat> up a sail and kicked back in a hammock with a bottle of rum that would have been a much better way to do it <laughs> and i think of that you know that there isn't any fixing of those conditions and so that surrender as you were talking about the power of that but taking that in the current context of what we're experiencing now, the surrendering to it is leaving behind the notion of trying to fix everything because it will be an illusion or it will be temporary. And how do we gain that view and that awareness and that perspective that we can come out with more than what we've left behind if we make that choice? And that more is exactly what you were talking about. How do, how do we center on our values? How do we center on that vision of how it can be? And so there's, there's this dreaming that opens up again, because we don't have to drag the past with us and say, I want to go back to what was normal, whether it be good or bad. And I think it's fair to say there was plenty of what used to be normal wasn't definitely positive. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, or sustainable. Right, right. Yeah. So, I so just I found myself comment. in like a reflective yeah. journey as you were talking. I just want to comment for the people who are listening to this that uh, Mike is wearing um, a T-shirt that says "We can do better," <laughs> <laughs> which is just so appropriate. Um, and something that I've really been thinking about a lot during this time has been um, resilience on many different levels because I'm pretty certain that the coronavirus is not going to be the last shock to our global system that we experience in our lifetimes. And I don't know what the next one's going to be. Um, 
it could be another virus, but maybe it's going to be something from climate change or, I mean, human beings are really, really bad at uh, predicting the future, clearly. Um, but how can we build resilience, like our emotional, spiritual resilience individually? Also very practical things like supply chain resilience. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean stashing 10,000 cans of baked beans in your basement. I, I'm talking about maybe growing more of our own vegetables closer to home, <laughs> growing our own toilet paper, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think that we could, um, we do have a tendency as a species to close the stable door just after a very specific horse has bolted. And maybe we should be looking more broadly at how do we um, reduce the risks, but increase um, personal resilience, logistical resilience, and also economic resilience. Uh, one of the things I'm exploring with the sisters is complementary currencies, because um, mm. people who have thought deeply about these things, look at our global monoculture of currencies, even though we have different currencies, they're all locked into the same system. Uh, and we're seeing now the um, shortcomings of that and also coming back to Gary's point about the the key workers that we've seen the people who have been the heroes during this time uh, not just the the medical professionals but also the delivery drivers and the the shelf stackers and the the checkout people in the supermarkets who've really kept society functioning um, and yet that a lot of them are on minimum wages. And it, it does, I, I'm curious about how the, not just the more abstract values, but the financial values that we put on things might get shaken up going forwards. And I, I hope that we do take these opportunities. I, I hope we don't just go back to the same old, same old, because, um, that would be a tragic waste of an opportunity for exploration and growth. And it does take a certain amount of courage, I think, to have that openness and curiosity. Um, clearly, there's been a lot of fear going on recently. And I'm hoping that surviving through this time will maybe uh, make people less fearful about fear, if that makes sense. Um, to know that, I mean, I know that this is something that rowing across oceans did for me, was to look back on experiences that were really hard, that challenged me every single day, that pushed me way outside of my comfort zone, but to know that I survived them and I actually learned from them, gave me so much more confidence that I could face future challenges. So I, I really hope that that might be something that, that comes out of this. I'd be curious to know what you think about that, Mike. I, 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 I just love, Ros, Ros, I just have to say thank you. For, I, just, I love observing your exploration, like real time. It's a beautiful thing to behold, human curiosity, just the mind wandering, like really exploring that in real time. It's it's so impressive to see, and I can see why you got through the three crossings of those oceans that you did, because I think there's a real lesson for me and for all of us listening in this, that, that being okay, talk about vulnerability, being okay with not knowing is actually part of the solution, I think. Is actually well said, okay yeah. with that. Like, actually, it's the journey, and Mike speaks about this in his book, Believership, is it's about who you become on the journey. It's not about the end that you reach, because that end is always moving anyway. Like I'm the one that burnt myself out because I was striving for the house, the money, the next job title, and it's never enough. So at what point yeah. does that become enough? It never does. So like being okay with the journey, I think is, without trying to sound too lackadaisical, I genuinely believe that's, that's part of this, I think, Ross. Sort of the whole point, isn't it? The point of living is, is to be on that journey and to be exploring. And I, I hope that I carry on exploring till... Well, I was going to say till the day I die, although I hope I get to do a bit more exploring after that. I mean, depending on your, <laughs> your spiritual worldview. 
um, because I think as soon as we think that we know it all, you know, our growth just stops. And to me, it's really all about growing. It's all about evolving. And there's always room for improvement. There's always some mental model that we, we had and maybe that we've held dear for a long time. And then something comes along that we go, oh, uh, I hadn't thought of things that way before. And rather than getting dogmatic about it and shutting it out because it, it doesn't resonate with what we thought was true, if we're able to hold maybe two contradictory points of view for a while, and again, coming back to your theme of playfulness, Gary, I just sort of play with both of those. I call it um, <laughs> as ifery. You know, I, I behave as if this new idea were true. And I see if the world makes more sense or less sense. I see if I feel happier or less happy. And if it seems like the new belief actually serves me or the world better in some way, then I go, okay, well, let's, let's go with that one then. And I'm ready to put down and leave behind the mental model that I, that I held before. I'm going to propose a business to you. I, I would like to um, collaborate and build a consulting firm called Azifery. <laughs> that might be my new favorite word, Roz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I made it up. Yes. I, well, it's, it's, a, it's a fun way to approach life. And uh, I suppose... Uh, you know, it, I think that if we, I, I like the phrase, strong opinions likely held, because I think it is important to um, have beliefs, but also to know that we choose those beliefs and not to mistake beliefs for actual truth. I love that. And you, you know, you, I think presented that so well when we talk about know-it-all, right? Because there, there's a flawed belief in that in itself, right? Is I know it all is, you know, it's a bizarre thought, much less a statement. And oftentimes that we, I think we mistake knowledge for I've formed an opinion. Yeah. And forming an opinion yes. isn't necessarily knowledge. It's, this is true, it, yeah. It, um, and we, we mistake that. And then we set out to prove that opinion rather than improve our vision or our understanding. And that's why as ifery is such a brilliant thing because we're looking to improve rather than prove. We're exploring knowledge rather than forming an opinion. And, and so then when you finish it, Roz, with holding that lightly and there's still openness to explore, Oh, I mean, those, that is such wisdom to sit in and share and explore. And again, well, I'm just I, taken back because I think of you, um, your ability to, to be creative in your, within yourself, right? And, and healthy in exploring all of those thoughts because of that solitude, which is, you know, what you've just written about. And, you know, I, I just get so much clarity about the strength of your mental state to, to navigate through that. Um, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just really enjoying that. <laughs> well, I really like your play on words with the, the prove and the improve. I think that's great. We, we can like agree. You can have my as ifery if I can have your <laughs> prove and improve. That's a fair trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, you know, in these recent times of, of great division, if, if we could have that greater flexibility and that willingness to consider different points of view, I think, unfortunately, for a long time, we've lived in a culture that is impressed with, um, with knowledge, with opinionated people, with dogmatic people. And... There's maybe um, something else I've been thinking about a lot recently. It's like the yin and the yang, the feminine and the masculine. And this is not really about gender because clearly 
like we all are a blend of masculine and feminine and I do think there's a different kind of hesitate to use the word leadership uh, or maybe leadership and self-leadership as well that has more of that receptive that um, more of a okay I'm going to use Rianne Eisler's language here of partnership rather than domination because I do think that there has been maybe too much admiration for the really strong person who will seek to impose their views on other people and they will sort of bang you over the head with their opinion until you just submit which isn't necessarily the way to find the highest truth or the greatest wisdom in a situation right uh, so maybe it's time that we gave less attention to the dogmatic people and explored together like in a more in a softer kind of way again not not uh, i love that phrase about um having an open mind but not so open that your brains fall out <laughs> clearly like we, we need to have a little bit of backbone here and to to have views uh, and not just go oh yeah you're right <laughs> uh, but actually to collaborate together to see how by combining my view with your view we actually arrive at a better truth or a higher form of wisdom together and I, I'm fascinated, like, how could that ever translate into the political scenes in the US or in the UK? Or I'm sure there are other countries in the world, those are just the two most present ones for me right now, where there does seem to have been, like, if, if one side says it's black, the other side is going to say it's white. Um, that it there's been this dogma of opposition it's and so it's, interesting it's because not I, what's going to save us yeah you know and i don't jump into that political conversation because of that reason because i don't i don't think it's productive however as you've just framed it it's really interesting because the the sides of conflict are much more interested in perpetuating the conflict than in solving the problem. So to give an illustration, my view of it, and this is American politics, current state. If we were, if, if the government or politics were a tennis match mm -hmm. and we each had a player that we were rooting for, the whole energy has gone to painting our face a certain color and screaming at the other side not even cheering for the tennis player anymore, but just yelling at the other side that has their faces painted differently. Yeah. And we've gotten so noisy and so focused about that, that the players have actually stopped playing tennis. <laughs> there's, there's not even a real game going on anymore. And people are just screaming at the other side um, without any meaningful activity taking place on the court. We've lost our purpose. <laughs> That is a great image. Yes. Um, well, maybe things are uh, reaching enough of a, maybe what's happening right now is that things are reaching this kind of crescendo and there's going to be a, a certain uh, bursting of the bubble, um, which could well be a bit of a traumatic process. Um, I think when we look at human history, we see that we're generally not very good at um, changing things proactively. We tend to let things get really bad until they sort of explode or implode and then we go, oh, that was a bit messy. <laughs> Maybe we need to find a better way to do this. Um, but if, if that's what it takes, um, yeah, I, I would be so interested to be catching up with you guys this time next year and maybe listening to this again first and, and just reflecting on please like what has changed i would be so depressed if we're here a year from now going oh well nothing really changed at all gary can i ask a question about the book may i please do so Roz, you um 
this compelled you to write. And what, what really stuck with me is you've written a couple of books. And so you have that down and you know, that's a skill. And you were saying, where do I focus my intention to, to make an impact on the current state, which, which means that you in a very rapid fashion put this book together and, and what an incredible talent that is to, to be able to. <laughs> Have um, you read it? Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> I mean, actually, I've been through the process <laughs> once, so I know that it's not simple. <laughs> I think it helped that um, I had, over the winter, um, been working on a doctoral dissertation that was really looking back over the last 15 years of my life from the ocean rowing and all of the work that I've done since. So I was actually already very in touch with... Um, my own reflections on my experiences. And so when I realized that I had something potentially useful to offer in the current situation, and um, by chance listening to a, a podcast with uh, a science fiction writer called Hugh Howey, who self-publishes on Amazon, I just went, oh, I could actually write a book. And, you know, conventional publishing, there's such a massively long lead time on it, but I, I just realized I could actually do something here. Yeah. So I just pounded out a first draft in 17 days and um, then got um, six or seven people to read it and give me feedback and culled a few chapters and um, made a few changes. And, um, and there we are, because it, it felt that it needed to be timely in order to be useful and i'll probably do a a second edition post coronavirus um and something that i i mean i i do enjoy sharing the things that i have found by trial and error have really worked for me because i think the deeper that we go individually the more universal our experience becomes so I really hope that people find this useful. It's meant to be very practical, very down to earth, hopefully a little bit funny in places. Um, you know, life is too serious to be taken seriously. Um, and I also interviewed some wonderful people for it, as well as Tenzin Palmo, the, the Buddhist nun. I also spoke to a researcher at the University of California who has proven at the epigenetic level how acts of altruism um, and connecting with community not only helps us to get over loneliness, but is actually good for our health and boosts our immunity to viruses. So it seems like a really good time to get on board with that research. Um, and I spoke to a polar explorer who did his uh, expeditions solo and also um, a therapist or a psychotherapist who specializes in running death cafes and has done an enormous amount of research around death and dying and what she had to share about that was actually very reassuring and I, I hope that if people have lost loved ones during this time that they might take some comfort from what Sue Brain had to say about it. So it was a, a wonderful opportunity to draw on these other sources of expertise and and wisdom around this issue of uh of solitude and other aspects of this recent shared experience because really what a privilege for so many humans around the world to have had a shared experience like this that perspective i I'm having so much fun. This has been such a wonderful hour. Um, you're extraordinary in, in what you've accomplished and what you're able to do. And the invite to bring us all in so closely and share that in a common experience is so brilliant, Roz. Um, what a gift for sharing. <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> It, it, really is, it really is though, Roz, and I think like you've given, I was going to ask you the question, what would your invitation be to anybody that's listening to us, like through reading the book, what's your hope for them? You've sort of answered it, but I'd love to leave that question there for you. You know, if someone's listening to us now, 
as we start to wrap up, Ros, what are you? What are your hopes for someone that might listen to us and go, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Right. What, what, what do you hope they may see in themselves within your book or what's your hope for them after reading it? Well, in the short term, I really hope it, it cheers them up and gives them a few coping strategies for, for getting through this. Um, but on a, like my highest aspiration would be that they actually come to appreciate this opportunity for some time out from the day-to-day busyness and the constant bombardment and distraction that seems to have become such a feature of 21st century life. I think that our brains haven't yet adapted to the massive amounts of information that are just lobbed at us every single day. Uh, we do benefit enormously, even the most radical extroverts out there. I think we all benefit from a bit of time with ourselves. And for me personally, when I set out rowing, I was a pretty insecure person with not a great sense of self-esteem. And for me, I would say the biggest gift that I've had from solitude is that chance to get to know myself. And, you know, I've managed to fix a few things um, by finding better ways of doing them. And there are some things that I haven't managed to fix. I've just accepted about myself that are maybe not how I wish they were, but um, on balance, I feel like I'm okay. And when I give my talks, I have sometimes had people come up to me afterwards to say, oh, I don't know how you could do what you did. And they're not really talking about the physical side. They're saying, I couldn't stand to be alone with myself for mm. that long. And if somebody feels that way, I would be very surprised if they're not a person well worth getting to know. I would want to get to know them and I wish for their sake that they would want to get to know themselves because I think when we can accept who we are with all our flaws and our quirks and our foibles uh, we could go well I'm not perfect but but you know I'd be a little bit annoying if I was completely perfect um, but actually you know I'm I'm okay I'm pretty okay and I actually quite like myself and I think most of us I think probably all of us could get to that place. But it does take a bit of time and a bit of reflection and a bit of solitude. So that would be my wish. Just, I'm buzzing. I'm literally buzzing as you share that. And I just think that that invitation, that, in, that invitation that you're already enough and just see back towards that, I think is so powerful, Ross. Yeah, and, and it's, it's true of everybody. And um, I think not just for ourselves, and it, it is wonderful to just feel comfortable in your own skin, but also wouldn't the world be a different place if we were all comfortable in our own skins and we didn't feel the need to project our stuff onto other people um, or to dominate other people? Can you imagine an entire parliament or congress or whatever full of politicians who just actually like themselves <laughs> i think it would be such a different place um, mm. that is the kind of world that i would like to live in i just that's so powerful and all of those measures right it you're i i take that as an invitation to truly explore what we measure and what we value um, and, and I, that, that it's more than a concept. It's actually a possibility of choice that we can make. And I just love that invitation. Thank you for that. Stunning. You're welcome. Stunning. How can people find you, Roz? I like, I really want people to find the book and they want to find you. Like everyone needs Roz either indirectly or virtually in their world. So <laughs> what's the best way to get you? Thank you, Gary. You're so great at reminding me of the, like, the practicalities here. Um, well, uh, 
everything is linked from my personal website, which is rossavage.com. Ros is R-O-Z or R-O-Z, depending on where in the world you are. Um, and then I set up a website specifically for the book as well, which is thegiftsofsolitude.com. And that's got a link to the book. I've also done a whole series of little videos. They nearly always come out at between six minutes and six and a half. I don't run a clock. That just seems to be my natural span. Um, so I've, I've done little videos that start out based on a chapter of the book, but then I just riff on the theme and I say I put in bonus material. It just means I go off on tangents and sort of expand on, on the topic. So it would be great to have people, to, and those are available either as a video on YouTube or as um, audio only, um, but it's all linked from thegiftsofsolitude.com. So I would, and the book also, so, you know, it's, it's a light, quick read. It's, I don't know, maybe a couple of hours, depending on your reading speed. It's, it's meant to be fun. It's not meant to be a heavy lift because we've all got enough going on. So um, I hope that you will find it uplifting and inspiring. And if, if you have a few laughs at it as well, then that would make me very happy too. Wow. Roz, thank you so much for joining Mike and I today. It's been, I know it'd be amazing, but you just go up a notch every time. So thank you for bringing your inspiration and your insights. And uh, I'll make sure those details are in the show notes and please keep in touch. I will. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Gary. It's wonderful. And we will come back and get you in 12 months' time. We've taken that as an invitation. So thank you, Ross. Yes. Deal. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much. Hello there, Gary Turner, your podcast hope, wrapping up this wonderful conversation with Ros Savage and, of course, my friend Mike Vacanti. Before I share a few of my final uh, takeaways from this wonderful conversation, just wanted to remind you that there is the Humans First open and inclusive hangouts that are taking place every week. There's one that takes place every Monday at midday UK and 1pm CET. Um, that the, a, a rotating host takes place. Um, and we actually have, very excitingly, on Monday the 18th of May, as this podcast goes out, um, Mike Vacanti, who is the founder of Humans First. He'll be taking, um, taking us through a conversation on Monday the 18th. Um, but back to this podcast, I've really enjoyed it where Ross shared that there was a lot of surrender to what is, a need to focus on the things that I could control, like showing up, and to reframe the situation as I couldn't change reality but I can change my attitude to it. This is if it, it's just the best, 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 most validating statement I've heard in many, many weeks um, for the book that I'm currently writing, which is called Change is an Inside Job. And when Ros just spoke this, it just really reminded me as to why I'm actually writing that book, which is despite and in, in disregarding, with all due respect, what's going on in the outside world, the only thing we do have an influence over is how we respond from the inside out. So even where the world can be crumbling around us, it really is up to us in the moment. What happens? You know, what is our reaction? How do we feel about it? Do we respond to it or be consumed by it? You know, very, very challenging. And it can sound like coming from a place of privilege, I understand. Um, but I do genuinely believe, deeply, deeply believe, and it's been my lived experience of the last years, that we do create our reality and that even when things are extreme outside, um, we do have to be aware of the attitude that we take towards it. So I wonder what's coming up for you when you think about that comment from Roz. Also, I enjoyed it where she shared that to think about what we want to carry forward post this current crisis. Which pieces of luggage can we put down and leave behind? What are the values that we really want to embody going forward, both individually and collectively? I'd love me just to offer you, if you're still with us, kindly joining this conversation. What are the things that you value most? And I increasingly like to look at things as life rather than separated from one another, work and life. But, you know, what are the values that matter to you more than anything? Uh, what are the top two 
um, values that matter more than anything. I remember reading about this in Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, and it really helps me hone in on growth and connection being my two core values, and it really does help inform our decision-making when we can be clear. Um, so what are your core values? Are you absolutely crystal clear what they are, and do they inform your decision-making? Ros also shared that I think that when we can accept who we are with our flaws and our quirks and our foibles, we can go, we are not perfect, but we'd be really annoying if we were perfect. I actually quite like myself. And I feel what Ross speaks to here is self-worth. So actually, do we believe we are good enough? Do we believe on an internal basis that we have the right to thrive, the right to connect, the right to grow? And at the end of the day, I believe that we all do. Um, but that, I think linked to the last part that Ross said is that could you imagine an entire parliament or congress full of politicians who actually like themselves? I think it would be such a different place. You know, we've innocently given away our power for generations due to the systems and the structures within which we've grown up. You know, parental systems, educational systems, work systems. And I genuinely believe that right now is the time to, with all of these shattered beliefs, to rebuild healthier micro and macro systems and i just wonder what part you would like to play in that do you agree with that comment do you challenge that but i just think in amongst all of the difficulty the challenges that we're experiencing right now yeah even yesterday i was out with uh, our neighbors having a socially distance uh, picnic and catch up we've never done that before three houses from the close having a wonderful catch up getting to know each other and everyone said we want to carry on doing this once you know whatever whatever the next steps are, however anyone, anyone wants to phrase that, you know, we are connected, we are human, we do care about each other, and actually that is our innate connectivity before the overthinking, the fear, and the greed kicks in. So how do we try and keep, yeah, how do we just try and keep more connected? How do we try and lift each other up? How do we look out for one another? I really am hopeful that that becomes the new paradigm going forward. And I'd love any of your thoughts, feelings, challenges to anything that I've reflected on, Please do join one of the Humans First calls. There's also a call every Friday taking place and also on Wednesday. And there's a range of other events that Mike Vacanti is pulling together on behalf of the Humans First community. So be well. You can find Mike and I's contact details as well as the contact details for Roz in the show notes. But you can find me. Again, my website is Gary Turner, G-A-R-R-Y Turner, one word, dot life. You can find two email addresses for me there as well as my um twitter handle which is at gary ip catalyst and you can find me at on linkedin at gary interpersonal catalyst and we look forward to hearing from you soon and until next week be safe and have a great week really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about hexo change at hexochangenow.com that's h-e-x-o change now one word dot com you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website which includes information about live stream conversations further service offerings blogs but also our in-person events of which we have multiple each year so i really hope that you'll join us do connect with me gary turner on linkedin and i really hope to hear from you soon